Um, first of all, we're going to start with a little recap because we're jumping back on board with our pattern teaching series today. If, um, if you've been around, you will have, since January, we've been um, embarking on something of a coordinated journey as we basically aspire to pattern our lives on, on that of Jesus, to receive and live into his fullness of life. Uh, we started with um, a module called Beloved Identity, discovering that we are so loved um, and graced by the, the goodness of God, such that there's nothing left to fear and nothing left to prove. This gift of love then spilled into module number two, which was all about our life together, togetherness. Um, we touched on themes of friendship and um, forgiveness. Uh, then we spent the whole of Lent looking at the um, big questions under the bracket of materialism, so big out there stuff like climate change, um, like uh, consumerism, global systems of justice or injustice, um, those big questions. Now, our next module, module number four, is bringing it all in much closer, and this is the next five weeks come under the title Body and we'll be thinking about discipling our bodies and some of the issues um, and complexities that come along uh, with that. Uh, today is a kind of um, intro slash foundation week as we, we think about um, a basic, important, essential, foundational concern that is desire, our desire. So here's a, um, a probing question to plunge straight into the dark depths of your heart. Um, how about, I love questions like this. Um, if you could have one additional room bolted onto your, uh, your home, what would you go for? Now, for the purposes of our imaginary exercise, let's imagine that it's a magical room, only you know about it. You enter it through the back of your wardrobe, which sounds about right, and you, you could have, so it's, you don't have to take anyone else into account. You don't even have to take into account what other people will think of you for having your fantasy room. Uh, what would you go for? Full-size snooker table was, was one of my considerations, um, but in the end, I've settled for a tropical greenhouse, um, which would be my magical room through the back of my wardrobe and in this tropical greenhouse I'd have a solitary reading chair and I'd also have a hot tub underneath the foliage and essentially a, um, a retractable roof on this so that I could sit in the bath amongst my plants and look up at the stars on a, on a clear night. How wonderful would that be? And maybe I'd get a telescope in there as well so I could... Um, that's what I would go for. I, I love questions like this, not only because I get to share my uh, crazy answers uh, eventually when the conversation comes around to me, but, but genuinely because I love hearing what is going on inside other people's heads. And when you, you hear about the desires of their heart, you get to know something of them. Our, on a profound level, our desires reveal who we are. There's a theologian called James K.A. Smith who wrote a book, I'll put it on the, the list of resources following this, called We Are What We Love. And his thesis, um, which is it's quite a classical Christian one, picking up themes of Augustine, is that we are who we love. So what we're 
gearing our lives towards our loves, our desires, our cravings, our longings. This is kind of profoundly defining of the substance of our lives, our identity, who it is that we are becoming. Our, we're human beings. Um, we are desiring creatures. We all have aches and longings, cravings. We are affected on a deep level. We're attracted to things. And the first thing to say is that this is good. Interestingly, in John's Gospel, Jesus' first words are, what do you want? And his last words, sort of bookending the whole Gospel, his last words are, do you love me? And it has been observed that this is essentially the same question. Because we have these desiring human hearts that are full of wants, aches, longings, cravings, needs. But our hearts were, were created and ultimately destined to find their satisfaction, their fulfillment in God. Jesus is the joy of man's desiring, to quote that old hymn. Augustine prayed it like this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O God. Jesus promised, as we read from the one of those headline statements at the top of the Sermon on the Mount, his, his big teaching manifesto, one of his opening headlines was this promise, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The truth, this is the truth that Jesus is proclaiming here, that, ev- that the, the, the kind of foundational ache of our hearts Every desire for connection, intimacy, uh, for, for pleasure, for delight, for belonging, for a place of home, for love, is met in Jesus and will be met in Jesus. Notice the future tense on this. Blessed are, are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you are at all in touch with this longing after righteousness, longing after the the goodness of God to be manifest, longing after a right state of things to to be manifest, you will be aware that it is not here yet. Not in its fullness. But by the grace of God, we do get these moments of foretaste now. I remember being... Um, I remember probably a handful or so of, of really clear moments in my life. Someone I've been praying, someone I've been walking along, uh, not, not asking or expecting for it at all, but this touch of, this intense touch of the love of God that just sort of comes overwhelming, wonderfully. It's like a sort of, um, some of you know what I'm talking about, and words fail at these points, but you're moved to tears and your affections are stirred and suddenly you realize where the truth and the beauty and the goodness is to be found and it, and it changes our whole kind of um, outlook and um, changes the longing, in, these moments of interruption on, the, on our heart level. There's a hymn writer who put it, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. 
So righteousness is not the widespread state of things, and yet we are given these, by the grace of God, given these sweet moments, uh, these like kisses of grace in the midst of the longing and the pain and, and the, the hungering and the thirsting after righteousness, rightness, shalom, um, a restoration of things. Now, if you were to type desire into one of those Bible search engines, Bible Gateway commonly, um, chances are that you'd find, a whole, you'd find a whole pile of scripture references that, that talk about desire and our desires in quite a negative light. This is because the, the writers of the Bible are very much in touch with the reality that our desires are fallen and corrupted and twisted. Galatians 5, for example, Paul writes, do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he goes on to list a load of ways uh, that our desires can get out of whack. Sexual immorality, debauchery, selfish ambitions, envy, factions, the list goes on. Underneath these sort of sprawling, um, out-of-whack desires are a foundational desire for the goodness of God, for connection, for pleasure, for belonging, for an end to pain. But this so easily gets short-circuited and misplaced or taken to these destructive extremes. At a root level, we desire the goodness of God. That's, that's who we are. That's what we were made for. Um, but at a profound level, our desires are fallen. Our desires are also deep, deeper than we are commonly aware of. Did you know human biologists have identified um, a part of your body that they nicknamed the second brain because of the complex um, uh, collection of, of neurons that surround this part of your body. Does anyone know where it is? This, your second brain is in your guts, your entrails, um, your intestines. Now, 90%, this is an interesting point, 90% of the traffic between your second brain and your first brain, sorry, um, goes up in that direction. So it's not the case that you, your, your brain is carefully controlling what's going on in your digestive tract. Actually, this is science catching up with the ancient wisdom of the Bible that it's getting into the territory of understanding the, the butterflies in your stomach, perhaps, the, the gut-level feelings. Uh, and the Bible talks about your heart uh, and, and your affections. And one of the words that is politely translated as heart and affections in, in the New Testament literally means entrails or bowels. So the Bible is concerned with the deep-seated center of your emotions, the deep stuff that is driving our lives. If you, ha you wore a body cam for a week and then you analyzed the results, what would you find? Where are you taking yourself? What are you going after? What is the vision of the good life that is driving you on? Because there will be one. What would you find? 
the sobering reality is, like the neurons that send all that information up, our desires are shaping who we are becoming. And the desires that we gratify, that we give ourselves to, go on to shape our future desires. They come to dictate where we're going, who we're becoming. And so, as we seek to pattern our lives on Jesus, it is so essential that we, that we take a kind of good look at what is driving us. What are the, the desires that are in the driving seats of our lives? And it might not always be what we think, because it is operating on this, this deeper level. Um, to give us some pictures, I've got a few metaphors. The first of which is, op open, your, open your guts up and imagine that, much to your surprise, you found a tropical greenhouse, uh, which is my favorite of the three metaphors for reasons that you might, <laughs> you might understand. The, the other metaphors are, um, open it up and you find a, a kennel full of dogs in there, or you open it up and you find this, this stream of marbles. I'll explain where I'm going with all of this in one second. Okay, so the, you open, first of all, the best one, Tropical greenhouse, yes. So you find that actually your, your heart, that inner part of you, this deep-seated center of your affections, is teeming with life and potential. And, and the task of discipleship is to, to, to work out the weeds, to, to trample them, to put the weed killer on them maybe, tell them where to go, and to take careful attention of the wonderful tropical plants that are, are growing there, that they may grow up and, and create this, this wonderful tropical greenhouse like you've always, uh, like you've always wanted. Or what about the, the dogs one, if this is more your thing? You, you, there's all these dogs competing, barking around inside of you. Which ones are you going to feed? Which, which desires are you going to feed? Which desires do you need to ignore? Which desires are not your friends that are going to grow up and grow strong and bite your hand off and actually control you? And which desires are going to be your, you know, dog, the fullness of dog companion best friend, if that's, you know, that's what you're into. Um, Paul said it like this. He said, um, his metaphor, incidentally, was favorite metaphor was taking off the old self and putting on the new self. You'll be familiar if you've read any of Paul's letters with that, that image. And he says, so, so therefore, put on, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not even spend time thinking about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. That's in Romans 13. So this is very deliberate, kind of, what are we going to fixate on? What are we going to give mental energy to? Where, where are we going to put ourselves? Take this seriously. Final picture, the marble run. Did you ever have one of those as a kid, like where you put together and the marbles go down? Well, what if you open up your guts, your hearts, that inner kind of place, and you find this, that our desire is like this steady stream of marbles that if, if you're not attending to it, are just running down onto the floor, maybe going along a few little ditches, that happen to be there. Um, and what if the, the task of discipleship is like creating this most amazing marble 
run with like bright colors and things that go around. And it's just so much fun and so amazing. And it like perfectly fills the space. This is what you were created for. This is how it should be. This is the very real task of chastening desire, which is to introduce an unfashionable word, a word that cuts against all of the messaging of our liberal consumer age that is geared, of course it is, to, to baiting and encouraging every desire, impulse purchase, every urge that we have. It's like, yeah, go for it, you know? But chastening desire, chastity, living a chaste life, and I mean that in the broadest sense, um, across, you know, desire across the world, all of our desires, the, the call, the invitation, the essential task of discipleship is to, to chasten them, which isn't about this unhealthy repression. Um, it's not a lifeless, dour, soulless thing. Think more about channeling desire and, and taking these marbles and making the most wonderful marble run, um, nurturing the most wonderful greenhouse, uh, feeding the dogs that are your friends and will accompany you into a fullness of life and a freedom. Don't let the weeds ruin your rainforest. Don't let the, the dogs grow up and bite your hand off. Don't lose your marbles all over the floor because there is life, there is joy, there is freedom to be found. At the top of the passage in Galatians 5 that I was referencing, it says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. The route to it is not to just go along with every natural inclination. No, it is essential, foundational, basic uh, task of discipleship to attend to our natural desires, to frustrate them in some ways, to, to, to acknowledge an unmet longing, to uh, engage with the reality of, of pain, of discomfort along the way. But bit by bit, we find that that's a fruitful path towards a fullness of life and a fullness of freedom and a fullness of joy. And it saves us from a heck of a lot of dead ends and bitten hands along the way. So that's the burden of what we're talking about today, is basically to stretch out some legitimate space in our imagination for chastity, for a chastening of desire, for a, an attending to desire. And say so it's, it's not just okay to have moments of discomfort, frustration, and, and the unmet ache of this or that desire. Actually, it's essential. This is the, the way for us. This is the fullness of life that we will discover um, that Jesus is calling us into. How can we enter into that real practically to finish? Um, two things. Number one, I would find some space in your life some company in which you can be really honest about the reality of the desires of your heart as best as you know them. And you can actually get to know them better within the context of that space. Maybe a spiritual director, you know, mentor, trusted friends, um, a pastor, maybe. And, and space for analyzing what's going on in your hearts. Why did you react to that thing like that? What do you think was driving you in that decision? And, um, and wise up a bit and, and learn to walk into freedom. Uh, the other thing 
that is really helpful in this is participating in Christian worship. And if it's doing its job right, it's going to be schooling us, schooling our imaginations into, uh, schooling our desires into desiring the goodness of God. And so when we begin with a prayer of confession, it leads us into the humility, the, the wisdom of humility that, it, that knows that not all is well with my heart. When we hear the proclamation of the gospel, actually we get in touch with the enough of God that is his gift to us that covers over our shame and our inadequacy that we might otherwise be needing to reach for this or for that to, to, to try and cover ourselves over. When we fixate on Jesus, we are discovering a new definition of beauty that pulls at, uh, pulls at our hearts like actually nothing else can. When we come around his table, we are are being schooled out of some of our aspirations to, to belong in some elite platinum club somewhere over here and finding the belonging of God with all sorts of other people, this solidarity, this brother and this sister and the, the family of God. It's, it's, it's doing something to us. Week in, week out, this practice will affect our hearts and it will shape our desires and it will help us to resist some of the ways that our hearts are otherwise co-opted and seduced. So fine, very final thing to say, common objection to, to, to all of this stuff is, but, but I don't want God like I want another drink on a Friday night. Or I don't crave God like I, like I, I crave for human intimacy. Or I, I don't really get excited about prayer like, I get, if I'm honest, I get excited about buying a new car or, or a new whatever it is for you. Yes, I know, that's what I've been saying. Our desires are messed up, out of whack. That, that is the reality to greater or lesser extent for all of us. But... The other reality for all of us is that bit by bit, we can learn to desire after the goodness of God. It's what our hearts were made for. There really is a glorious fullness of life and a fullness of freedom and a fullness of joy that is God's invitation to us, that is Jesus' pattern for us to, to follow as we learn to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Should we stand? And if, if you want to invite God to meddle with your heart, then why don't you just pray something like that, simply, honestly, uh, to him now. And we open up our lives, our hearts, to you, Lord God. And we pray, come, Holy Spirit. Come and give us wisdom 